All right, three weeks ago we started a sermon series here. We started a study on, on Paul's letter to the Galatians. All right, Paul's letter to the Galatians. And, and one of the things we said is Paul's, one of Paul's earliest letters. It's a really important letter for Paul. It's an important letter for us. And one of the things that we said as, as we've been studying this is if we're going to understand what Paul says, we need to understand what the problem was. We need to understand why Paul wrote this. So if you've been with us, you've seen this before, but I know we have a number of visitors today. And so I want to just kind of give you the, the background for what's going on here in, in Paul's letter to the Galatians. What led him to write this letter that, in reality, is probably the most angry letter that he wrote. I mean, he was really upset and angry when he wrote this letter. So here's the situation. These, what I call final step Christians, who are down here in Jerusalem, they were Jewish Christians. They became concerned. <laughs> they had Christian concern for these Galatians. Christians up there. See, the Galatian Christians were primarily Gentiles. They had not been Jewish. They had not been raised to to know what God expected of them and and all the rules and the regulations of Judaism. And, and, And what the final step Christians were concerned about, what they were concerned about is that when Paul, and that's Paul there, when Paul brought the gospel, when he was a missionary, when he told them about Jesus Christ, they were concerned that Paul did not tell them everything that he should have. He didn't tell them about the law of Moses. He didn't tell him about what Moses said, about how we're supposed to live, about how we live as God's people. I mean, they were happy that Paul told them about Jesus, and that was fantastic. But they didn't like it that Paul didn't tell them enough about Moses. And they were especially concerned that he hadn't taught them about circumcision. And he hadn't taught them about food laws. Those are going to become important for us today. And Paul hadn't taught them about, about special days, about observing the Sabbath and all that. So out of Christian love... At least they would have said that. I don't know if it really was. But out of Christian love, these final step Christians went up to Galatia and had a seminar and taught them what they didn't know. Gave them the final steps, the the, the Jesus plus message. Yes, we're saved by Jesus, but it's also circumcision. It's also by observing the food laws and observing the special days. And so they went up there and they taught them that and then they went back down to Jerusalem. As far as we can tell, the Galatian Christians were really excited about this. For them, it was like, okay, now we know. This is so cool. They rooted in Scripture. They read what we call the Old Testament over and over again. Now we know what God really wants for us. Now we know how we're supposed to live. Now we know what we're supposed to eat. Paul just said, love your neighbor. That's kind of out there. We don't know what that means. But this we can do. This we can keep an eye on. Somehow Paul found out about it. Maybe they wrote him a letter. We really don't know. But when Paul found out about it again, we've said that before, he was hopping mad. And he writes the letter to the Galatians. And what Paul says early on in the letter is this. I am astonished. I am just flabbergasted. I am shocked and confused and downright angry that you are so quickly deserting the one, God himself, who called you to live in the grace of Christ. You're turning your back on Jesus and turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And, 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 and that was a powerful statement. And, and Paul wants to say, you know what? This is not just kind of adding something onto my gospel. You're losing the gospel. You're losing your salvation if you go down this route. You can't do that. So Paul comes and writes this letter, rather. He doesn't come to them. He writes this letter, and he makes these really powerful statements. He says, they're dead wrong. I'm right. Now, Paul knows, and this is what we looked at last week, Paul knows that one of the main questions the Galatians are going to ask is, why should we trust Paul? Right? I mean, Paul came and said, this is the truth about Jesus. And then these other people came, and they came from, from the Jerusalem church leaders, from James and John and Peter, those who were really respected. And they said, this is what James and John and, and Peter say. This is how you've got to do it. This is what Jesus, Paul is wrong. Now Paul is saying to them, no, they're wrong. Who do they believe? 
And, and so last week we talked about that. Paul said, you know, I'm not a people pleaser. I'm, I'm not somebody who's just trying to get people to like me. I'm not, I don't preach just human wisdom. I didn't come up with this on my own. I say what God says. And then the last thing he said, and I changed the order last week, but the last thing he actually says in the text is, I do listen to other people. Peter, John, and James, Peter, James, and John approved of the gospel I preach. Paul says they added nothing to it. That's where we ended last week. So Paul wrote this letter, said they're dead wrong. And he says, you know what, you can trust me, okay? Peter and Paul and John, those big boys, those guys you think are so important, those ones you respect so much, they told me I was right. What I told you was exactly right. In fact, Paul says... Let me tell you about what, I ran, what happened in Antioch when I ran into Peter once there. Let me tell you about an experience that we had. Because I had to correct him. I had to put Peter in his place. And so this is a wonderfully fun, I think, fun and challenging and interesting story of how two of the big bulls, two of the big guys, guns in the New Testament, Paul and Peter, go at it. And how Peter confronts or how Paul, rather, confronts Peter. It happened in Antioch, all right? So again, let's look at a map here. we got Galatia's up there at the top, Antioch right between Jerusalem and Galatia, and then Jerusalem at the bottom. Peter was primarily there in Jerusalem. Okay, that's generally where he was. He was one of the pastors in that church. At one point in the book of Acts, we're told that after Peter went through some persecution, he spent some time in jail, Peter decided it was good to get out of Jerusalem for a time. So that might well be the time that Peter went up to Antioch, and that's where Paul was. Paul generally spent a lot more of his time in Antioch, in in Tarsus, near where his home was and so on. But Peter went up there. And Paul says, when Peter came up there, well, this is what happened. When Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. I got right in his face. I told him he was dead wrong because he stood condemned. And again, that's strong language. I don't know if Paul is really saying that Peter was not not a Christian at this. I, I don't think it's quite that strong. But Paul's saying Peter was so wrong. It's such an, an important issue that I just, I mean, I slapped him upside the head, and I just said, you've got to get this straight. So the question is, what was Peter so wrong about? <laughs> I mean, what did Peter do that so upset Paul? Let me give you the background of this, and you'll understand this. All right, in order to understand what Peter did that was so upsetting to Paul, we've got to understand kind of how people lived and how the Jewish people especially lived of that day. So here I, I have a picture of a common home in Antioch, okay? It's a, it's a fairly kind of common home. This is what, have been a, what a Gentile lived in or what a Jewish person lived in, something like this. Maybe it's a little upper middle class, but it's, it's, it's a fairly common home, all right? And, and so it, uh, we'll, we'll make this Jacob's home. Okay, we got to have names for people. So this is where Jacob's, this is Jacob's house. Let's move in a little bit on it. You can see that part of what they have in their house is they had the stables inside. Again, a lot of air here, so it wasn't that smelly. But they would have their cows, their animals inside like that. Up here you see a kitchen. Okay, you got the kitchen up there. Over here on the other side is a bedroom. And then this room down here is sort of a workroom. Women are, are doing something with some cloth of some sort. Main entrance would be down here at the bottom. And then up here at the top would be one of the most important rooms because that would be the dining room. And I don't just say that because I like food. It was, a, it was a place where the family gathered as family. In that day and in our day, we still recognize sharing a meal together does something to us. Sharing a meal together share, says something to us. So that was the kind of the basic layout of this home. All right, so here's Jacob down at the bottom, okay? Now, here's, he's at this point in the story, he's a good Jew. 
And he's serious about keeping kosher. He's serious about following God's laws. He's serious about doing what the commandments tell him to do. So let's imagine Jacob is standing out in front of his house, um, just enjoying a warm day, and um, a Gentile starts walking down the street. And we'll call the Gentile Tom. All right, just, you know, Tom. That's who he is. All right, so Tom starts walking down the street, and he gets near Jacob. What does Jacob do? What does Jacob do? You might think, well, that's a crazy question. No, for Jacob, he would have a choice. As soon as he sees Tom the Gentile coming toward him, he's Jacob the Jew, and he knows that God's law says, I've got to be really careful about interactions with Gentiles. God calls me to be distinct. God calls me to be holy. God calls me to be separate. And, and, and so one of the options, one of the options that, that Jacob actually has here is that Jacob might just go into the house and avoid dealing with Tom altogether and got to pet my cow. All right, I, I'm, and, and, and a lot of Jews, the strictest of Jews would have said, not a lot, but the strictest of the strict would have said, that's what you do. You don't go in that place. You don't talk to that person. Again, if you think that's nuts, remember some of our parents or maybe some of us saying, you don't go to a movie theater. You don't do that because that's wrong. That place is corrupt. You don't go into bars. Those places are corrupt. You just don't do that. So it's possible Jacob could have done that. In a city like Antioch, he probably had enough dealings with Gentiles that he didn't just, he knew he was going to run into them. He knew he was going to bump into them. So he didn't do that. Maybe he just kind of talked to him. Hi, Tom. Hi, Jacob. How are you? Good. And they had a little conversation. That would have been acceptable, okay? Especially in a place like Antioch, that would have been fine. But let's imagine that Tom wants to shake his hand. They're, they're shaking hands, not holding hands, okay? It's just Tom wants to shake his hand. Again, I think probably for the majority of Jews, as far as we can tell, for the majority of Jews in a city like Antioch, that would have been okay. But for some, this would have been crossing a line. Now, it wouldn't have been terrible. All to, uh, Jacob would have had to do is go inside the house and wash his hands, the ritual washing. That's all he had to do is do that, and then he'd be okay again. So it wasn't like forever cooties. It was just short-term cooties that you could wash away. That was questionable, but what was wrong was inviting Tom into his house. That was something that Jacob never did. And what would have been even worse is if he had brought him in and shared a meal with him. That would have been like the taboo of taboos. That would never happen. You see, in, in Jacob's home, there would be no unclean person. It was just the way it was. It's not just that. Let's kind of bring in the, the dining room a little bit closer here. All right. And... Um, Bring that in, and, and let's say it's, it's mealtime, Jacob is here, and he's got his cousin, George, and his son, Jack, all right? So Jacob and George and Jack are all there, and they're eating the food they're supposed to eat. They can have lamb, heroes, they have those. They have a little bit of matzo ball soup and some falafels, chickpeas mashed up and then deep fried. And they're not bad. So they, they're doing that. But if, if his son never said I was talking to my Tom's son, my friend, and he said, man, dad, bacon goes so well with lamb. Or the new boat came in with shrimp cocktail, and it's so awesome. Jacob would have been quick to say no. No, God's word makes it clear. We don't have those foods in our house. We don't eat those things. God says we're separate, we're distinct, and this is part of how we know it. Not that those things save us, but, but man, God said not to eat them, and so we just obey God. Again, so in Joseph's house, there's no unclean food. So no unclean food, no unclean people. Then something changes in Jacob's life. Jacob becomes a Christian. 
Jacob becomes a Christ follower, all right? And amazingly, so does Tom. Tom, who's been walking in front of his house, Tom, their kids played together sometimes, but Tom becomes a Christian as well. And so now Jacob is there, and he's having some meal together, and he's continuing to probably serve some of the same food. But this time something amazing happens because Jacob invites Tom and his family over for a meal. It's never happened in his life. He's never done anything like that in his life. All of his life it was wrong to walk into that bar. All of his life it was wrong to do this. But now he has Tom and his kids over. And not only does he have them over, but Paul is there and Barnabas is there. And you know what? He serves them things like bacon and shrimp. And, and you and I kind of going, what's the big deal for him? I mean, imagine you didn't do this for 40 years, and all of a sudden now you have this dinner party, and this Gentile is there, and you're serving bacon. Interestingly, think about this once with me. Interestingly, it could be that Jacob or ja- George or Jack, one of the Jewish Christians, chose not to eat the bacon, chose not to eat the shrimp. That would have been fine. All right, it would have been fine if they said, you know what, we'll serve this to you because you, we know you like this, but we're not going to eat it. That would have been fine. They were eating together. That was the important thing. But it wasn't just them who was there. We're also told that Peter was there. Paul says when Peter was in town, he'd go to Tom's house, or Jacob's house, and he'd eat with Tom, and he would do whatever it took, and he would love it, and Peter discovered that he had a taste for bacon. And he absolutely loved the stuff. Now the story. For before certain men came from James, he, Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles. That's what we're talking about, okay? They're all there at Jacob's house. They're having a party. They're talking about Jesus. They're doing Bible study. They're just having a great time together. Peter is there. He's hanging out. But when they arrived, these men from James, when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. See, these guys who came from Jerusalem, these men who came from James, said something to Peter. And so I want to move this house over to the side, and I want to bring in the men from James. All right, here they come. They've come up from Jerusalem. The men from James are, they're Jewish Christians again. James was the brother of Jesus. He was a big shot, all right? He's a big gun. So when they come, they come with some authority. And they couldn't imagine how anybody could be a God follower and break God's laws. I mean, they just, and again, think about it. That's what we're talking about here. For a Jewish person who had become a Christian and now had these Gentiles around, these Gentiles were breaking God's law, and Paul didn't seem to care, and Peter didn't seem to care, and James says, this is nuts, go up there. At least that's what these guys said. We don't know if James actually said it, but these guys said, you can't do that. You cannot do it. And so they called out Peter. Peter, can we talk to you? Peter comes out, and I would imagine that Jacob came out as well. Hi, guys. Excuse me. And there was the problem. (laughs) That caused the big problem because the next line was, is that bacon we smell on your breath? Are you serious? Are you serious, Peter? You are eating bacon. Uh, er, what are you thinking? You know what you're doing is wrong. And let me just make it very clear that they would have probably had this next passage memorized. And had said it so often. Deuteronomy 14, 18, 8. You probably don't have it memorized, but they would have. And the pig, because it parts the hoof, does not chew the cud, is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat. Their carcasses you shall not touch. Scripture, Peter, God's word, game, set, match. Stop it. Get out of that house. 
God's word says you're wrong. Peter, you know. You can eat with the Gentiles. I think they would have said it's fine there. But here was what their line was. You can eat with the Gentiles, but you're not supposed to become like them. Well, we're supposed to be in the world and not of it. They said it then, too. You can eat with the Gentiles, but you're not supposed to become like them. You're supposed to make them like us. You're supposed to make the Gentiles more like us. And so here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Isaac lives next door. Isaac's a good Christian Jew, Jewish Christian. And Isaac keeps his house kosher the way God's law says to. So Peter, we're going to go over to Isaac's house. And if you know what's good for you, you're going to follow us. If you know what's good for you, you're going to follow us. So they go this way. And Peter and Jacob go back to the house. I don't think Peter gave in right away. The houses were close enough. They were built in a plot. You can see that the builder just reversed the design. Um, it happened then, too. Peter, if you want to do ministry in Jerusalem, you ever want to do ministry in Jerusalem, then you know what the right thing to do is. You ever want to preach from our pulpit again, you know what you've got to do. And Peter began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. He moved over to the other side. And he went to Isaac's house. And it wasn't just Peter. Peter was a leader. And he did it because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. He was afraid of what they were going to do to him. They, they could take away his pulpit. They could make life miserable for him. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. Yeah, we say we're saved by grace, but in reality we believe this. So that even Barnabas, Paul's best friend for that time, I think, even Barnabas was led astray. And I want to suggest maybe even one of Tom's boys said, it's scripture. It's God's word. And they said, you can join us in Isaac's house when you're ready to take your faith seriously. So you got the situation? You understand what's going on? We've got now two groups of Christians. We've got Jacob's house. And over in Jacob's house, we got Jacob. He's not giving in. He's not giving in. We got Tom and, and two of his sons over there. We got Paul over there. And then over in Isaac's house, we got Peter, and we got the man from James, uh, and we've got, yeah, Barnabas, we've got Jack or George, whichever I gave him, I gave him Tom's son. We got two separate churches. We got first church and second church of Antioch. Peter says, hey, this will help church growth. Paul says, you're right, it'll help. No, he doesn't. Paul says, when I saw, 2.14, when I saw that they were not acting in line with, they were out of sync with the truth of the gospel. Peter knew the truth. Peter knew that we are saved and accepted by God, by grace alone. Peter knew the truth, but his actions were not in line with it. He was not living out his faith. When I saw that, I said to Cephas in front of them all, Peter in front of them all, <laughs> Peter, we need to talk. Paul wanted to do this in front of everybody because this is such a public thing. So many people were involved. I want everyone out here. Oh, Peter comes out. Yeah, Paul, I want everyone out here. Right now. And they ran. And here's the heart of it. Here's, here's what 
what Paul is so angry about you. He says, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. That was good. You understood freedom in Christ. You understood that fellowship with, Jew, with brothers and sisters in Christ who are Gentiles is more important than keeping these little bitty laws. That those things that God has declared clean now, that God has declared Gentiles clean through Jesus Christ, that God has declared these food clean, that God has declared clean, you understood that and you were having the party. You were in Jacob's house. You were eating the bacon. You were exactly right. You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, and that's fine, okay? That was exactly right. How is it then, though, that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? What are you doing saying that these Gentiles have to live this way? That they have to do this the way we do it? That they have to look like us? That they have to eat like us? They have to speak like us? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. And I think tongue, Paul has his tongue in his mouth, right, in the corner of his mouth right there. He's kind of saying, I'm joking about that. But we are Jews by birth. Here you and I, we know that a person is not justified, and justified means accepted by God. A person is not accepted by God because of the works of the law. Peter, it is not that we're saved because of what we eat. It is not that we're saved because of what we do. It is not that we're saved because of our actions. We are saved. person is justified, is accepted by God because of faith in Jesus Christ, and that alone. So we too, us Jews have put our faith in Christ Jesus, not in ourselves. We've put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because, Peter, you know this, by the works of the law, no man shall be justified. By the works of the law, no one will be justified. It will never work. It was never God's intention. We are saved by grace. And, and live it out. Live it out. Paul says, you know this, Peter. You know this, Peter. Don't act like we're accepted by God because of how we live. That's what was happening. His, his, his truth was right, but he wasn't living it out. He said the right words, and I think he genuinely believed we're saved by grace. But he was willing to say, but you can be saved by grace over there, and we'll be saved by grace over here. And Paul says, no way. No way. It's faith. And it's faith alone. Live out your faith. Here's the deal. If people are accepted by God, they must be accepted by us. And if they're accepted by God because of Christ alone, then they must be accepted at Hillside because of Christ alone. They must be accepted and welcomed at Hillside, whatever the color, whatever the background, whatever the knowledge if someone belongs to Christ, they need to belong to us, and we cannot say, you've got to become more like us. You cannot, Paul says, we cannot force the Gentiles to live like Jews because we're not saved by being Jewish or Dutch or white or middle class or a Democrat or a Republican or wealthy or poor or whatever it is. We're saved by grace. We cannot, and I think this is the heart of it, we cannot have a Gentile church and a Jewish church. That's powerful. <laughs> we cannot have a church for those like us and a church like those for them. 
You know, and it, it, again, it's so tempting. It made, it made life so much easier to just stay at Isaac's house or at Jacob's house. But the gospel's not easy. <laughs> the gospel wants to change us from the inside out. The gospel wants to confront us and, and overcome all of that. And the gospel wants to set us free. It wants to set us free from all of those walls that divide us. It wants to set us free from all of those judgments. It wants to set us free to love each other. And we can't, and again, now that doesn't mean that all the church, I don't know how we work that out. I think, again, we've talked about it before. City Fest is a really good example of this, where we're joining together brothers and sisters in Christ from all sorts of different denominations, all sorts of places, and we're saying there's one church in Grand Rapids. There's one church in Kent County. There is one church in West Michigan, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a big deal, Peter. The gospel is at stake. If people are accepted by God, they must be accepted by us. Christ alone. That's what I said. Paul, back to the letter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Paul said he was wasn't living out the truth of the gospel. He wasn't accepting and loving and caring others the way God accepted and loved and cared for him. Now, I hope you have some concern here. Because there's another side to this, isn't there, Ron? Yeah. Paul knows that Peter has some legitimate questions. I, I mean, come on, at this point, don't you say, but it doesn't matter at all how we live. If you were here a couple weeks ago, blue box, green box, green box, we'll come to it next week again. I, it doesn't it matter. Aren't we called to holiness? And, and how, do we, how do we accept people while not affirming that everything they're doing is okay? <laughs> That's a huge question today. What does it mean to say, you are in Christ, we accept you? doesn't mean, but that's the gospel. That God accepts us and then changes us. And we accept people. And there are questions about how to work it out. Guess what? That's what comes up next week, so you've got to come back. So Paul's going to start to work his way on is saying, okay, now how do we deal with this? Because Paul does care about holiness, because God does. Where does it fit in? And, and Paul's going to start to explore some of that. So sorry, those of you who are just here for the baptism, we'll see you next week. So as we close, are we living in line with the gospel? Are we living in line with the gospel? The gospel says God has accepted me in spite of everything I've been, in spite of everything I've done, God has accepted me through Jesus Christ by faith alone. Am I willing to love others that way? And really, again, Paul wants to make this positive. Can we dare to live in freedom? Can we dare to live in freedom? Yeah, we've got to talk about holiness and how that fits. But we are saved by grace. And so, to you parents, I haven't forgotten you baptismal service. To you parents, to all of us as parents, as grandparents, yes, we teach our kids rules. And, and I think for many of us, we do that maybe too well. Yes, we teach our kids rules, but teach them more about grace. Tell them how much Jesus loves them. Tell them from the very beginning that they are unconditionally loved that God reaches out to them. Dare to tell them about grace. As a parent, I know. I don't quite no, if I dare tell my 15-year-old that I am going to love them even if they go do what I tell them they can't do. 
But God says that to us. And so, yes, teach your kids right and wrong, wise and foolish. But teach them more. The grace of Jesus is the most amazing stuff in the world. Let's pray together. Father, it's scary. It shouldn't be, but it's scary to live in freedom. We like the rules. They give us boundaries. They keep us safe. They help us to know that we're in the right place. Father, the right place is in your arms, and the right place is loving our neighbors and loving you. So, Father, help us to live out the gospel in the way we speak to the neighbors around us, to the people at school, in our workplaces, and in the way we live together as a family of God here at Hillside. Show us what it means to be a family with open arms. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand for God's parting word of benediction? People of God, as we go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with you. Live in the freedom and the joy of that grace. Amen.